Well, welcome, GBC. It is a privilege and a weighty honor to be here with you tonight to preach. After Howarth preached two weeks in Romans 8, that's, I mean, that's an easy thing to follow up, right? So thank you, Josh, for that. No, I, I am excited to be, uh, to, to be able to, to preach tonight. Um, it is a high calling. It's a, it's a weighty calling. Um, thankfully, uh, this is the Lord's word. And uh, as we've been singing about, his Holy Spirit uh, is here with us. And so I'm just excited to see what, what God has for us. Uh, before we get to the word, though, just a couple remarks about kind of the season that we're in, uh, just some pastoral musings, as it were. Um, this is not a formal statement from the elders. This is just as I was thinking about today and uh, just acknowledging kind of how we're feeling, right? Like it's a big void to have the Howitz depart. Um, some of us are bummed, right? I don't know. I haven't talked to anybody who's like, finally, I'm glad that they are out of here. I have not heard that at all. Um, some of us are, are sad, like legitimately tears of sorrow. Uh, some of us are excited, again, not because they've left, but just because we're excited to see what God has for us. Excited to see what God will do through the house uh, in Redlands, but also excited for what he has in store for us, right? Uh, some confused. I think that's probably where I have been most of this time, is just a little disoriented. Lord, what, what's going on? Um, if I'm totally honest. Um, some, and again, I haven't talked with anybody that lands in this category, but it has to be here. Some that are angry, I imagine. Like, okay, Lord, this is not okay. Um, some maybe feeling abandoned again, and fill in the blank with however you might be feeling. And I think it's just important to say, it's okay how you feel. Like, it's, it's, it's all right. We're, we're in this together. We, we have feelings. We feel together. We feel deeply together. And we see David in the Psalms all the time expressing how he feels to the Lord. Um, so it's okay to feel that way, to acknowledge how you feel, to be together in how you feel. Um, let's not maybe stay there in some of those places of unhealth, right? But let's be honest where we're at and be okay with that and, and lean into each other as a community, lean into the Lord for his guidance and for his leading. Um, yeah. Josh has been an excellent pastor to me, uh, to you all, from everybody I've talked with, to our elders. Uh, he's been gospel-centered. He's been... Uh, faithfully preaching the word week in and week out. He counsels with compassion and gentleness. Right? We've experienced this from him. He listens well. Sadly, he's a Giants fan. I still don't understand that. He grew up in Montana, so I don't get the Giants thing and the 49ers thing. I know there's a couple of you here, but you know, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I don't even care. Go Cubs. Uh, but Josh has loved this church well. He's pastored this church well. Um, we're going to miss him. We believe that the Howiths are being directed by God. We, act, we, we do believe that. We believe that, that God has called them. We believe that they are being faithful to that. And how do you, what, what do you say to that other than God bless and thank you for your example, right? So uh, I, I talked to Josh a little bit about that, but just thanking him for his example in going somewhere. This is not easy, right, for them. They, they know no one there. This is a, a fresh start, uh, but they're obeying God, and, and I'm thankful for their example. So three things for GBC in the midst of all this. God loves his church, this church, and has a plan for this church. Now, if you have grown up uh, four spiritual laws, right? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. We've heard this since we were young. Um, I don't mean to um, play on that, but it's true. God loves this church and he has a plan for this church. Sometimes in circumstances, I know for me, God's sovereignty typically has never been in question. Like, God is who he is. He's sovereign over the universe, including me and, and the plans he has for my life. That's never been the issue. Sometimes, though, it feels at odds with God's love for me. He's sovereign, yep, I get that, but man, this doesn't feel real loving. 
And I think similarly for our church, we can confess together God is sovereign and he loves this church. And we can rest in that. It might be confusing. It might feel like there's a tension there. But we, we rest in what we know is true. We know from the word that God is sovereign. We know from the word that God loves us and loves the church. Secondly, the elders of the church love you deeply and dearly and are available to you uh, to be your pastors. Uh, I know uh, because Josh was the one up here most of the time as the preaching pastor, uh, you know, we're not up here as much, but we really do view eldership as a pastoral role. And so please know that if you are in need of any pastoral uh, counsel or conversation or anything like that, that we are available and want to be available and, and be with you. We're praying for you individually. Uh, we pray through the church directory every time we get together. Um, and we genuinely do love each and every one of you and, and are praying the best for you in the Lord's will. Yeah? And then finally on preaching. Again, for most of us, the majority of our, the ministry that we received from Josh was from the pulpit. He's a gifted preacher. He can explain a text well. He can make it come to life. He can apply it to our lives and our hearts in a way that's pretty unique. And I've just been thinking about this. I think oftentimes when, when we connect the work of God in our lives to the preaching that we're sitting under, um, sometimes we can, we can over-connect that work to the preacher specifically, if that makes sense. So all that to say, if in the last three years you've, you've been encouraged by Josh's preaching, and I'm, I'm sure you have, and you connect God's work in the preaching of the word only to Howeth and not to the Holy Spirit and not to the preaching of the word as a as a discipline that we here at GBC value, um, there might be a um, temptation to disconnect from the Lord working in the preaching of the word with a different preacher. Does that make sense? It's difficult to articulate, but what I'm saying is we're preaching the same scriptures that, that we've always preached, different communicator, different conduit, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the work in our hearts, right? It's the Holy Spirit that is transforming us. Um, this isn't to belittle Josh, but it's not Josh's work, right? It's the Holy Spirit's work. So we know that. We want to confess that. We want to, we want to kind of park there. We want to live there. That's how we want to go about this next season. We're excited to uh, enter into this new uh, preaching series, um, which I'm going to pivot right now and introduce. How's that for a segue? right? You like that? Smooth. Um, the guys that will be preaching up here, you guys know, uh, they also dearly and deeply love you. They dearly and deeply love God's word. They love Jesus. They love the gospel. So please just rest in the fact that we're in good hands. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit's church. This is God's church. This is his word. And, and the Holy Spirit is who we're relying on as we preach. So, with that, this next sermon series that we're going to enter into is called The Church on Display. I think there's, well, look at that. It's on display. A series on the one another passages. If you have a Bible, please go ahead and grab it. Turn to Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, you don't own a Bible or you've lost your Bible, we want you to have a Bible. So please, feel free. There's Bibles on the back. Please take one of those. Take it home. Uh, mark it up, keep it, it's yours. We would love for you to have it. In Ephesians 4, uh, well, starting today and throughout the summer, uh, we're going to be looking at some of the many one another passages in the New Testament. These are passages that have been written to the church to instruct us on how we ought to live together in community as Christians. So the way I've typically thought about this is the biblical community, Right? There's all kinds of community out there, but there's biblical community that is unique, and it is characterized by the one another's in the New Testament, okay? So, for example, some of these one another passages, care for one another, wait for one another, serve and encourage one another, honor, love, and pray for one another. 
live in harmony with one another. So these are some of the passages that we're going to look at through the summer. Um, and same DNA as, as GBC has always had, we're, we're all about expositional preaching. Okay, we're not going to pivot into a different um, philosophy of preaching. That's, that's what we do here. So that's in our DNA. But how we think about the one another's, how we think about how we relate together as the church, Christians in the church, that's really what we want to think about, focus on this summer. Jesus says in John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus places a very high emphasis on that his followers, his disciples, love each other. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.15, we are the aroma of Christ, which is kind of an interesting way to think about the church. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, the church, and among those who are perishing, the world, those who don't know Jesus yet. The aroma of Christ. So GBC, be encouraged that in many ways, as we go through these one another passages, there is much to celebrate in the way GBC functions and relates and uh, one another's, right? Biblical community is something that we have experienced, I think, here. Uh, you have experienced here. You guys have talked about it in members' meetings when you've explained what kind of brought you here, led you here. Um, we've seen it in the way small groups take care of each other. Biblical community is just, it's not a foreign concept at GBC. There's always room for growth. Um, and I hope that as we study these passages together, we'll be challenged to excel all the more in the ways that we one another each other, right? So if you're in Ephesians 4, turn to verse 24. And this will be our text for tonight. Ephesians 4, 24 should be up on the screen as well. Make sure that we're, yes, 25, interesting. Hmm. Let's start in 25. <laughs> Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, as we humbly come to your word, uh, God, we boldly ask that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you have for us tonight. God, would you protect uh, my lips from saying things that are unhelpful or untrue or unglorifying to you? Uh, God, would you just help us to um, see you, see your love for us, see what it is that you have for GBC through this passage. We give this time to you, God, ask that you would bless it, ask that you would be glorified by it, and ask that we would be encouraged. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the big idea for the message tonight is that the work of Christ, what he's done, is the foundation of our identity, who we are, and is the fuel for one anothering, how we live. So what he's done is the foundation of who we are and is the fuel for how we live as the church. So what has he done? Ephesians 4.32, we see at the end of the passage that God in Christ forgave you. If you are a believer and you're thinking about your identity, one of the most profound things that should stand out right off the top, who are you? You are forgiven. Now, that's, a, that's something that we, we know that's, that's kind of old news, and so it loses its 
pizzazz, as it were. But if you, if you rewind the tape and you just sit in that truth, you are forgiven. That's, that's like life-altering. That's like you don't experience that anywhere else. The, the holy God of the universe, the creator, sovereign, loving God of the universe has forgiven you and me if you're in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that while we were enemies of God, right, even when we were enemies, we were hostile, even so, God loved us. He saved us through the death of his only son on a cross. Jesus took my sin and your sin on himself in order to pay the penalty for my rebellion and for your rebellion against God. When I believed in Christ, when you believed in Christ, he took our sin and he replaces it with his righteousness. Are you joking me? <laughs> like that, that should be, that should like take our knees out, right? Like that's like, whoa. That should never get old. That should always be just amazing, amazing truth. If you find yourself, yeah, like that's old news, I would caution you, I would warn you to back up a bit and just kind of sit in that you know, air that we breathe, that you are forgiven by Christ, forgiven by God in Christ. Romans 5.10 says, For if, or says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Reconciled. I don't know if you've ever experienced reconciliation, uh, a broken relationship. Maybe it's a family member or a, a friend. You know, something gets in the way. There's a fight. There's a falling out. Um, there's the pain that you feel, the hurt that you feel, the distance that you feel. And maybe over a series of time, there's a resentment that grows and, and that relationship is broken. And through whatever the circumstances might be, there's an opportunity for you to rebuild the relationship, for there to be reconciliation. So maybe you've experienced that in, in this life. And I would say um, that is a shadow, just a very small little glimpse of what it means to experience the reconciliation that we have with God in Christ, right? So you, you've experienced, we've experienced that in small part. So what has he done? He's forgiven us. And then who, who are we? What is our identity? Last week as we looked at Romans 8 and the week before, we saw that there is this gap between who we are and who we're becoming. Josh used this illustration that when he was a kid, he would wear his dad's suit jacket and he would preach and the jacket was too big, right? And now over time, Josh has grown into a preacher, right? Kind of the metaphor is uh, he was growing into what he, he, he's becoming what he is, Right? And I think when we think about our identity, identity in Ephesians 4, it's the same idea. We're, we're becoming who we are. We're not there yet, right? But we are in process. Um, the Bible says that for those God foreknew in, in Romans 8, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Man, I don't know about you today, but I didn't necessarily feel like I was imaging God's son. Like, today's probably not a great ruler <laughs> for how close I look to who Jesus is, right? And we're all there. We're all in process. You know, you, uh, if you're married, you're short with your spouse. If you have kids, you're easily angered. If you uh, fill in the blank. There's all kinds of ways that we miss the mark, that we fall short. But we're forgiven in Christ. We're becoming who we are more and more like Jesus, conformed to the image of God's Son. We're new creations. That's kind of a weird idea. It's like, I don't, I don't remember being newly created, right? Like, I'm the same as I used to be. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So again, this is where we stand in the foundation of what we know the Scripture to say to be true. The Bible says, in Christ, you and I are new creatures, new creation. 1 Corinthians 15.22, Paul says, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive as new creation. Right? So um, Adam was supposed to follow God and image God to those around him. He failed. 
God reset. Noah was supposed to do the same thing. He failed and fail and fail and fail and fail. There's all this failure in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. He's the second Adam. He doesn't fail where Adam failed. He images God. He is God. And um, we in Christ are made new. Um, wow. Again, another thing that we, we know that's common or it's, it's familiar, but let that just kind of sink in a little deeper into your heart, right? We're new creation. It's amazing. We're also created in the likeness of God. Ephesians 4.24, so this is the verse right before. Paul says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness is like this, you know, this, this proper attitude towards God. This is this set apart. This is this without sin um, in attitudes or actions, right? So holiness, like you have been created after the likeness of God in holiness, and in righteousness, this is the, the quality, the characteristic, um, uprightness, right? Purity. Um, in Christ, we've been made new in, in, in holiness and in righteousness. So we're created in the likeness of God. Then in verse 25, we've already read this. He says that we're members of one another. That's kind of a weird idea. Members of one another. Like, usually you're a member of something. You're a member of, like, well, if I asked you to go through your wallet, right? Who's, who's a Bymart member, right? Love Bymart. Where else can you get, like, a barbecue and a gallon of milk? Well, I guess Fred Meyer, but you know what I'm saying. Bymart's awesome. Um, a, a car battery. It's Bymart. So, members of Bymart. What about Costco. Right? You're a member of Costco. You pay, you, yep, Costco. Love it. You, it's, think of the money I'll save if I go to Costco, right? Who doesn't need 300 of those, whatever they are? Okay. Some of you are members of a health club. Uh, I clearly am not, right? Okay. Um, a club sport of some type, volleyball or baseball or polo or fill in the blank. The Yacht Club, some of you. Rick, are you, are you part of the Yacht Club? Yeah. I don't know. Do we have any Yacht Club members? I don't, I don't know of any. If you are, I would like to go on your yacht. The, the Wine Club, any uh, alcoholics would like to raise their hands? I'm kidding. What about the gift that gives all year long, Clark? Jelly of the Month Club. It's a movie, sorry. Hair Club for Men. As Cy Spelling used to say, he's not just the president, but he's a client also. Anyway, I digress. Typically with a membership, you pay an organization for services, right? If you're part of the wine club, you pay a million dollars and you get three bottles of wine or whatever, there's, a servant, there's an interaction. So, when in Ephesians, when Paul says, he uses kind of body language as an illustration, not that he talks, <laughs> he, he uses body language as an illustration. Not that he talks with his hands, body language. He uses the body as an analogy for the people of God. Christ is the head, we're make up many members, right? Paul talks about this all the time. Ephesians 3.6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Ephesians 5.30, we are members of his body. Christ is the head. You and I make up the many parts, like I said, and members of his body. But here in Ephesians 4.25, Paul also says that we are members of one another, there's this mutual belonging. You're not just a member of a club, but we, we belong to each other. Romans 12.4 says that 
as in one body you have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. That's just weird. What, is, what does that mean? I, I understand member of a club and members of Christ, but members of one another. So we belong to Christ. We belong to one another. I, I thought about this. How do, I, how do we think about this? So, bear with me. The head of this body is Joe. The members are elbow, thumb, foot. This elbow is Joe's. This thumb is Joe's. The foot and the knee and the abs, they're all Joe's. And also, I think what the analogy here is that the thumb belongs to the elbow. It's not just mine, but, but the thumb and elbow are members of one another. Um, they're mutual. Maybe better is the language that Paul uses about family when he's talking about members. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So this is family language. Brothers and sisters. Um, we belong to one another. If you, if you have siblings, so say you're a sister and you have a brother. Like, I have a sister and my sister has a brother. We belong to each other. Does that make sense? I think that's what Paul is getting at here, is we belong to one another. Another thing, we are, this is back to our identity. Who are we? We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul also says early in Ephesians 3, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 13, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So this is, the Holy Spirit is like God's signet ring um, of ownership indwelling in us individually and in the church. I, I doubt God has a signet ring, but if he did, it would probably look like a dove, Holy Spirit, right? He, he puts that stamp, that seal on his people. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That's his seal of ownership. We belong to each other. We belong to God. Um, Donald Honer says that the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit is to identify believers as God's own and thus to give them the security that we belong to Him. You belong to God. I belong to God. This church belongs to God. The very fact, he goes on to say, the very fact that the Spirit indwells believers is a seal of God's ownership of them. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says that God has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So there's a certainty. We're stamped with his character. We're guaranteed that he'll protect us until he takes final possession of us in the day of redemption. There will be a time, there will be a day, maybe in our lifetime, maybe later, that we will be God's possession like face-to-face. -face. The day of redemption, when all things are made new, when new creation, this already not middle ground that we're in, will be over, and it'll be yet. <laughs> right? Malachi 3.17 says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So yeah, we're sealed for that day. It's not a uh, maybe. No, it's a for sure. If you're in Christ, it's a for sure you're sealed, you're in Christ. Who else are we? We're forgiven. We talked about this earlier at the beginning. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Just a couple things to point out here is that and we already saw this, that God went first, right? He didn't wait for us. 
He did the work first. God went first. Romans 5.8 says, God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Without stipulation, without conditions, it was complete. His forgiveness was sacrificial. His forgiveness was for the sake of relationship and in humility. So God went first. So that's, that's who we are. We're, we're forgiven. We're members of one another. We're sealed. We're created in the likeness of God. We're new creation, among many other things that the New Testament says. But those things, for sure, in our passage. So, if we go back to this main idea, uh-oh, got to get it right. Where is it? Mike, where is it? The work of Christ, what he's done, is the foundation of our identity, who we are, and is the fuel for one anothering, how we live. So how do we live? How do we one another? Paul, in this passage at the, at the verses 17 through 24, talks about like these two types of life, the old self and the new self. And in our context, he's talking about putting on the new life. Um, when Carrie and I were first married, we had the opportunity to lead a team of students to the Czech Republic to teach English. And one of the things that we would do during the day was different sports camps, soccer, fill in the blank. One particular year, there was a, a guy that went with us, lovely man, who sweated profusely, like dripping sweat all the time. He thought it would be a good idea to put his sweat-drenched clothes at the end of the day in a garbage bag and fold up the garbage bag and kind of throw it under the bed until the end of the camp, then we would do laundry. So camp was over. It was laundry day. He pulls out this garbage bag, and all of his clothes are black with mold and mildew from just being nasty, right? So think about putting on one of those shirts, right? Pull it out of the bag, sweaty, moldy, musty, right? Put on that. So have that in your mind. Okay. So just keep that there. Just put that on hold. Paul gives a list of what the old self looks like. Okay, he, he kind of gives a laundry list. And I, we're just going to rattle through here, okay? Futility of their minds. So this is verse 17. No longer walk as Gentiles do. Futility of their minds. Darkened in understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Hardness of heart. Callous. Sensual. Greedy. Impure. And he says, assuming that you have heard about Jesus and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, corrupt with deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So let's talk about some of these things. Oh, and then later, sorry, verse 25, put away falsehood or put off falsehood. So we're still thinking about the, the sweaty shirt stuff, right? Put off falsehood. 26, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun down, go down on your anger. So don't hold grudges. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Um, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with all malice. All that stuff put off. All that nasty stuff put off. Corrupt speech. These are things that are harmful or evil or speech that tears down. Holding a grudge, right? This is resentment towards someone who, because of something they did, especially a wrong that you think that they committed against you. Bitterness. This is a hard-heartedness that harbors resentment about the past. Anger is this kind of settled, gnawing feeling of hostility. 
teeth clenched. If you ever watched Seinfeld, this is the relationship between Jerry and Newman, right? Hello, Jerry. Just this disdain. Spurgeon says that uh, I have no more right as a Christian to allow a, a, allow a bad temper to dwell in me than I have to allow the devil himself to dwell there. He's talking about wrath, which is this uncontrolled and unbridled anger. If you've seen the Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, right? Wrath is when Ralphie, the main character, gets bullied one too many times and loses his mind. Remember that? And just just throttles that guy. Remember? Okay, I don't advocate violence. I'm just explaining what wrath is. It's unbridled anger. Clamor is a word that popped up here as the old self. This is a lack of restraint which erupts in angry yelling. I've never done that at home. I'm lying. Right? We, we do these things sometimes. We fail in these things sometimes. Slander, the abuse and vilifying of others. Did you hear about this person and vilify them? Right? Malice, these are attitudes or actions which are intended to harm another person. Maliciousness. Yeah? So these are all characteristics of the old stuff, the old clothes. We're to put all that off and we're to put on new clothes. I'm thinking of a really nice custom Italian suit. Maybe I've never had one of those. Um, I, I've had one suit in my life. Um, maybe Italian leather shoes. Does it, yeah. Maybe fedora. I, I wouldn't be able to pull any of that off. Maybe just a comfy pair of jeans and a button down, right? So let's compare like what's attractive and what isn't. The, the sweaty bag of clothes or this nice new clean stuff. So Paul gives us a picture of what, what does the new self look like? Truth instead of lies. Tell one another truth. Keep short accounts. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger instead of holding a grudge. There's a, some dead guy. I don't know who this is. Talking about the Pythagoreans, right? They were famous for not just the theorem, but they were, they were good people too, I guess. I don't know. He says, we should pattern ourselves after the Pythagoreans, who though related not at all by birth, yet sharing a common discipline, if ever they were led by anger into recrimination, which is a fancy word for broken relationship, they never let the sun go down before they joined right hands, embraced each other, and were reconciled. Hmm. We should learn from those guys. Andrew Lincoln, a commentator that I read, says that sin is to be avoided by ensuring that anger, if it occurs, is brief and is expelled immediately. It so easily becomes destructive of harmony that it certainly must not be allowed to smolder overnight. Man, I don't know when Carrie and I were first married, sorry, I didn't talk to you about this, how many times we would go to bed during a fight, the sun would go down, and I was like, I have to go to bed, I go to work tomorrow. And we never resolved stuff that night. How, how many times we, I, gave opportunity to the devil to bring resentment and to bring brokenness and to bring, like, hurt, right? We, we're okay. We've worked it out. We're, we're still good. 25 years next month, by the way. So don't let the sun go down in your anger. Keep short accounts. These are instructions that Paul is giving to the church. He says that we should be generous Instead of stealing, we should work hard and we should give to the needy. He says that instead of corrupt speech, the church should be characterized by encouraging words that build each other up. We should be kind, loving, benevolent. We should be thinking the best of one another. Tender-hearted, compassionate, and forgiving. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time because uh, forgive one another is really what tonight is about, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, to aim for restoration, to live at peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We are instructed in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so, uh, so far as it depends on you, to live peaceably with all. 
You can't live at peace if there's not forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is kind of a requirement to live at peace with one another. Matthew 5, Jesus says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come back and give your gift. Jesus makes it very clear. If there's discord among believers, stop what you're doing and go deal, right? Come back to do your offering because what's more important is reconciliation among brothers. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus instructs his disciples to ask God to forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. To me, it seems like of all of the different instructions that Paul gives, that this one is more difficult. This one is, it's more personal. There's more at stake. It clashes with my like, sense of justice, like to forgive I wonder if the way the church displays forgiveness amongst each other is one of the most significant ways that we display the work of God among us. Not only to each other, but to the world. Earlier we looked at 2 Corinthians 2.15 where Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I know it's a bit crass to frame it this way, but how do, we, how do we smell as a church? Aroma of Christ. Carrie used to make bird broth soup, right? You guys, do you guys do this? Chicken bird broth? Oh, chicken bone broth. <laughs> Sorry, chicken bone broth. She would start it in the afternoon so nobody was kind of aware of what was going on. She'd let it cook in the crock pot overnight. Unaware of what she was doing or brewing. Until the next morning when I woke up, opened the bedroom door and would be confronted with this just putrid, repugnant, just awful. So... <laughs> so nasty. I asked her to do it in the garage because I, I just it was so gross in the morning. So imagine that compared to like she gets an apple pie ready the night before and in the morning we wake up, coffee pot's going, apple pie. Like that's, that's the aroma that I want to wake up to, not bird broth. <laughs> so when you think about the relationships that you have with other believers around you in this church and, and elsewhere, how, do, how does the church smell? Are we the aroma of Christ to one another and to the world? Are we continually giving and receiving forgiveness as we have received forgiveness from Christ? Or is there resentment and bitterness and brokenness of relationship and those types of things? I think we have uh, Matthew 18. This is familiar. Let's read through this together. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Like that's a lot, seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is peanuts compared to his debt. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went to report to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not now have mercy on your fellow servant 
as I had mercy on you. So I would say, where is forgiveness more vital than in the church? Among brothers and sisters in Christ, among husbands and wives who claim the name of Jesus, within families made up of parents and children and siblings, among our small groups, uh, among the folks that you're sitting next to in church, among other believers outside of this room, those who claim Christ and are apart from, uh, that are a part, not apart, but a part of the big C church, right? I propose that this is one of the main distinctions between the church and other communities. There are many groups of people who enjoy one another's company, share common affinities, even other religious groups that are taught by their religious leaders to be forgiving. It's a value in lots of different communities. It isn't just in the Bible. But what makes it different? Because Jesus forgave us. The, I think I wrote here, the well, the well, oh, right here. It does not find, forgiveness does not find source in our own goodness, thankfully, right? Its source is the deep well of God's love and forgiveness for us. We forgive as we have been forgiven, undeserved, unmerited, complete, and without limit. Do you guys know the story of Nate Saint? He was a missionary back in the 50s uh, to Ecuador, and his son Steve was five years old when his dad Nate and some of his pals, Jim Elliott, one of them, flew down into the village to share Christ with um, Wadani, the Wadani tribe. They were greeted by some of the warriors, and ultimately they were martyred, right? Years later, Steve Saint, the child, and his mother moved back to the, the tribe in Ecuador to pursue them again. And they were able to actually see that these guys had come to Christ and, and Steve Saint was able to meet and talk with the man who killed his father who had become a Christian, right? Imagine, imagine that. <laughs> um, and the only way, the only reason that he was able to forgive in that situation is because he himself has experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. I have to be honest that in preparing for tonight, um, yeah, just feeling inadequacy, right? Like um, some hypocrisy maybe even. Uh, if I'm honest, the old self, the old sweaty garment self is still very much present in my life. Um, to put it in Star Wars language, this is for you. Uh, the old self is strong with this one. Right? Like, I still battle the flesh, for sure. And I imagine so do you. Um, the suit coat example that Josh gave last week feels very appropriate. I know I'm becoming who I am, but man, I'm a long way from being like Jesus. Whether it's forgiveness or all of these different things, right? But especially forgiveness. It's hard to forgive. Man, you don't know what this person has done to me. You don't know what they said. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard to forgive. Paul says in Romans 7, I, I, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. There's this battle. Um, but then he says, you know, what a wretched man I am. But then he says, thanks be to God for his, his grace. That's a paraphrase, but, but that's how I feel. Right? I don't do what I want to do. And I do what I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am, thanks be to God for his grace. So I confess, I repent, I lean into the gospel. I believe, I ask God to help my unbelief. I ask the Holy Spirit to lead me and to help me to follow him. 
man, no more evident is the gospel for everyone, especially me, than in many of these one another passages, right? Just ask my wife, my kids, my coworkers, those that have the closest vantage point into my heart and my life. Yeah, I hope they see me growing into that person who I am in Christ, but it's a process. So yeah, walking with Jesus isn't this one-time transaction that happens, right? This is a continued cycle of confession and repentance and gospel renewal daily, moment by moment, day by day. As we abide in Christ, in his word, in prayer with him, listening to the Holy Spirit, in community with other believers who have access to show us our stuff and help us out with that stuff, um, it's, it's a continual cycle. So be encouraged. You're doing great. And let's continue to lean on the Lord and the gospel. As is our custom every week, we're going to respond to God's word in communion with some, some worship. If you're here tonight and you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, these tables are open for you. This is a, a physical picture of what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for our sin. If you're here tonight and you don't yet know Jesus, I would ask that you would pray, that you would maybe, not maybe, that you would refrain from taking the elements, that you would continue to ask God to show himself to you, that you would experience his love and his forgiveness in your life. So just, just pray and kind of observe and if you're here tonight and you know Jesus, but there's broken relationship with a brother or sister, I would strongly recommend that you pursue reconciliation. Maybe even just right now. It doesn't have to be a big thing, a big show. But if there's broken relationship with a, a brother or sister here, pursue it and, and lean into that and seek restoration. We'll have some traveling music then in a moment. Mike will come and lead us in communion. Uh, tables are open to you.